You're listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author Sarah Box, where you get the inside scoop on the steps action takers and decision makers take to align their purpose to their principles and achieve their goals in business and life. We focus on the mantra, no labels, no limits, no excuses. And now, without further ado, please welcome your commanding coach with plenty of chutzpah and heart, Sarah Box. Hi, this is Sarah, your host of the No Labels, No Limits podcast, a podcast all about shedding our limiting labels and beliefs so that we can actually be true to ourselves and who we were uniquely created to be. We're going to learn a lot about that from today's guest, Nikita Ren Bigpin. Let me tell you a little bit about her. I'm going to ask her to go into a lot more detail, but I'm going to give you the bio level pieces. So. Nikita is known as the number one balance and relationship advisor in the world, activating power couples and potent humans, potent humans, that's us, um, who are ready to recalibrate and own their right to be intentionally selfish and to amplify relationship intimacy as they grow to live into that space full. After a successful career helping families push through trials caused by trauma, lost confidence, communication challenges, all impacting intimacy with, you know, within relationships. Nikita architected her core professional skill set as a psychotherapist, trauma specialist, sexologist, and relationship expert with strategically infused tenets of metaphysics and coaching, creating ripples inside the personal development industry. So I want to pause and reread part of that because that's a very unique blend of skills, but also of her own interests and um, seeking. I'm going to say seek. So strategically infused tenets of metaphysics and coaching. Just think on that for a little bit. She's a reformed perfectionist who used to be addicted to stress. Oh, baby. Can I relate? And as we start our conversation today, Nikita suggests that if there's anything we as listeners can relate to in any way to what she shares, she wants us to recognize it, to release it, and just do that simple effort so that it doesn't stifle our growth in any of the areas of work, life, and love. So that's, that's her ask of us before we even get started. So today I'm going to ask her a bit about her journey, how she ended up where she is today, and the work she does through Big Pro Balance and Relationship Management Institute, um, how we can make space for what it is that we want when we feel we're at capacity or we feel that when doing so is inherently selfish, and then what expired expectations are and what wounds they leave. And then I do want to know what it takes very specifically to create work life and love balance, because that's one of the questions I am asked so much. And um, I never feel like I have the right or the best answer. I have the only answer I have in the moment, right? But I want to know from an expert what that answer is. So with that, let's quit dilly-dallying around and welcome our guest, Nikita Ren Bigpin. Hey, Nikita. Oh, my goodness, Sarah. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for taking time. We're actually recording this on Martin Luther King holiday. 
So I was super excited that it worked for your schedule, my schedule. Um, and since today is a day of, you know, just the growth that happens through one person showing up wholly and authentically and bravely. Mm-hmm. I know it wasn't a, a lone person doing it, that there were others who supported and came behind, but it seems like a perfect day to be having this conversation. Absolutely. Okay. I want to ask you a little left question to start. So okay. what, this, what was the cost to you personally, relationally, professionally for being a perfectionist? And then I'm going to back in and ask you about your beginnings. Mm. <laughs> that is a loaded question. The cost of being a perfectionist, it almost cost me my sanity. Uh, I would have previously identified as a type A personality, if you're thinking of a kind of a tr- traditional type A, type B person. I don't think that that was truly who I ever was, but it was who I felt like I needed to be. The mask that we tend to wear as ambitious women, always, always, always proving, proving, proving. And we typically do that uh, by overgiving, but it has to be in a space of excellence, right? Um, and I, I do believe in excellence, by the way. So that's not a cheeky stab at excellence, but I think we often tie excellence with perfectionism. And I think you can separate them out. You can be your excellent best without having to make something so perfect and being so rigid about it that you can't breathe any of your true self in it. Um, So for me personally, in addition to years of therapy (laughs) and my own trauma healing, coaching, advising mentors that I had to seek out and really help me pull those pieces of me that had gotten separated under a lost identity of a little nine-year-old girl that was constantly just trying to save her mother. Cause that's where it really started for me. Um, my mom walked out when I was nine years old. She was a drug, she was and is drug addicted. Um, and she made a decision at that time to leave me because she didn't want to go to rehab because that was the choice that my grandmother gave her, like go to rehab or you leave and we keep her here. And she knew the house that I was being kept in, which was the house she grew up in, I would be consistently and continually abused by her abuser who she was leaving me with. So there was a lot of layers to that and me literally trying to fix the world through this proverbial version of fixing my mom, but I have to be excellent. I have to be perfect. I have to do it right or else she won't come back to me. And even I moved in with her when I was 12 because I was very rebellious, as you can imagine, which is a true core personality part of myself, by the way. Uh, It was just coming out in, you know, negative behaviors as 11, 10, 11, 12 years old. And I moved in with her because it was convenient for her because she was pregnant with my then youngest. I'm the oldest of five brothers. And I was her babysitter, basically. Like I was, I didn't know that going in. I thought, oh, my mother wants me now. And it was, no, now you're going to be a caregiver. You're going to be parentified. So I was always constantly in that churn of needing to prove myself. And the best way that I knew how to do that was by giving more of me than I would ever get back because I didn't expect anything back. I didn't think I was worthy of getting anything back. I didn't think I was enough for someone to want to choose me, right? To get anything back. And those schemas, those narratives, those scripts followed me throughout my early career. 
um, my first career as a clinician, um, as a trauma specialist. Oh my goodness, I was so fantastic at it. I was so good. And I loved my work because it's all about giving. You know, you work, I worked in hospital systems and crisis centers and advocacy centers and stakeholders, the mayor, the city of Philadelphia, all of it. You are nonstop 12, 16, 18 hour days. It was the perfect place for me to hide. It was not the best place for me to heal. And as intelligent as I am and all the degrees and certifications and, you know, not to dismiss the very hard work that I put into it. It all just became more ways for me to calcify over my purpose, for me to hide in the chaos of being busy, which is why I tell people there's a lot of B words that you shouldn't ascribe to. But the B word for busy is definitely one of them because I had very little boundary with myself. It wasn't about other people. It was me. Other people coming in as change agents to bring me lessons in my life were extremely helpful once I was the Monday morning quarterbacking of that Sunday night game, right? Like in the moment, I felt the betrayal. In the moment, I felt the pain of not being able to help someone see their potential and help them be a better friend, be a better lover, be a better human, um, be a better mother, right? Because ultimately, that's what it came back for me. And my father had a part in this too. Don't get me wrong. It wasn't just all her. He's also recovering from substance abuse and had been in and out of jail since I was 15 and all the other things and had started a new family and all the other things in between. But he wasn't the one that imprinted on me as deeply because I was tethered to my mother in such a deep way that most of us, I think, listening to this would understand that you have powerful relationships with both of your parents, but daughters and their mothers have something very unique and very special that can be very damaging if you're not careful. Um, And all of that had to get unwound because God knows, Sarah, it showed up in my marriage. It showed up in my parenting. It showed up. I didn't know that I was going to be an entrepreneur, but when I became an entrepreneur in 2011, 12 years, almost 12 years ago, May will be our official 12th year um, at the time of this recording, I had no idea that I had so many insecurities. I had no idea that I had so many confidence issues. I had no idea that there was so much more growth left for me. And not just in the, you know, the obvious, like, hey, you're, if you're living on this earth, all of us can do a little bit of growing. Not, not that way, but I was so immature in my mindset that, but I didn't understand it because I got validated by the world. I was constantly patted on the back. You, Before I became an entrepreneur, I always had three to five jobs. Five was my sweet spot. While in grad school, while in post-grad school, while being a wife, while being a mama. Again, the addiction to stress, right? All of those things allowed me to not see the immaturity because I was intelligent. And a lot of us walk around hiding behind what the world validates us by because that was the expectation. Prove yourself as smart, prove yourself as strong, prove yourself as sexy. If you know, if that's your attaché, if that's your thing, you as long as you can cover yourself with one of those things, you're good to go. But all the stuff underneath was really tethered and tangled in so much in so many wounds is the best way that I can say I'm trying not to overuse the word trauma because that's my default as a trauma specialist, but there were so many wounds that I didn't even know were infected because I was literally hiding the whole time. 
So what happened? I mean, like, was there a point at which you went, okay, this is not working, whatever Mm -hmm. this is. Mm -hmm. And I can't, I'm smart, but I can't figure Mm -hmm. this out on my own. The brain that got me here is not the brain that's going to get me out of here. Come on. That's a t-shirt right there. Um, (laughs) So many levels. Only because you've learned it. I learn it, right? It's like, hey. Yeah. If you knew how to get out of this, you'd be out of this. Yeah, exactly. I would say, yes, that hard yes, we could put a period on the end of it. But that yes wasn't a one yes. There was a lot of micro shift yes that helped me move my paradigm in a different direction. The very first yes that I could say when I was like, okay, some name right, <laughs> you need to, you know, you need to get someone smarter than you, different than you in this particular area to help you. Um, I was in my early 20s. My youngest now is 22, and she was a, an infant. And at the time I was doing um trauma work, case special uh, case manager specialist where I had to go to people's homes to help them with different challenges they were having if they had psychosis and they couldn't leave the home and, you know, make sure they were checking, dotting I's and crossing T's so they can continue to receive the benefits that they were getting from the state or the city for both. And a woman had a psychotic break uh, while I was in her house. And she saw me as she was hallucinating and saw me as a major threat. So she had locked me in, barricaded the doors and started trying to throw knives at me. Like it was a very serious situation. Um, And we always carried two phones as a case manager. Um, She got the one phone away from me and broke it. But I luckily had my other phone. So I was able to tap into the district office so they could hear everything and they could like patch in police. But my office is in Center City. I'm all the way in the Northeast. For anyone unfamiliar with Philadelphia, that is not 10 minutes around the corner. So we had to, you know, wait for that. In the meantime, I'm trying to de-escalate her, keep her calm. There's one side of me, the Nikita, the clinical social worker, right? Trying to keep her calm, trying to do my best to not escalate the situation. Then there's Kia from South Philly, who is being threatened with physical bodily harm, who grew up fighting her entire life, physically, mentally, emotionally, verbally, inside her own home, let alone outside of her home. Kia is looking at this woman like, you got one millimeter step to come closer to me and you don't have to worry about having a psychotic break, right? Like I, I'm really wrestling here, just being fully transparent. I, I will end this. <laughs> right, absolutely. But this will be an ended discussion. And I'm I'm having like visuals, you know, of my toddler, who's my son, who's 26 now, and my infant, who's my daughter, who's 22 now, and my husband. And I'm I'm seeing like, you cannot go to jail because that was the track that my my life before I made a decision as a very young person to not do what my parents were doing, that is what I was predestined to do, considering the sexual abuse, the physical abuse, the violence, like all the things. And my goal, I know a lot of people growing up are like, I want to be a fireman. I want to be whatever. I had, you know, these altruistic dreams of being a pediatrician and a psychologist, right? Like I had like that thought, but I never saw it as a visual. My main visual was don't go to jail. That was my visual. And in that moment, I saw me going to jail. That that was my first one. Um, Of course, everything worked out. Police were able to get in. 
nobody got hurt. I had a disassociative moment where I literally saw what I would do to put me in jail, but it didn't physically actually happen. But I, de- I definitely disassociated from my body. Um, and my supervisor, Jeanette Harrigan Braxton, I still remember her to this day. And we're talking 20 some years ago. She was the best supervisor I've ever had in my entire life. She listened. She had high EQ and she was culturally appropriate and understood that this wasn't a matter of trying to train me. This was a matter of listening fully to me and my circumstances without allowing it to be an excuse for any behavior or non-behavior in any direction. And she insisted that I go to EAP employee assistant professional to get help. And I insisted that I was fine and I was going to go back to work the next day, right? Like, you know, (laughs) normal. I'm in grad school at the time for my master's, like all the things. And I was like, no, come back. She was like, and you will not come back to work. You will make the call or I will make it for you. And you will make sure everything, you know, I's are dotted, T's are crossed. I still love her for that, for that day. Because when I finally, I did do three little bears, Sarah, I won't lie and be like, the first EAP counselor was magical. Because remember, you're dealing with someone who's aware of their brilliance and their knowledge. So every counselor that I had, I was like, well, you ain't asked me this. Why you didn't ask me that? You didn't ask me this in this order, right? Like I'm trying to be too smart for the person who's helping me. And finally, I surrendered when I met my match. A German woman, she since. Um, past transition, who was not charmed by me at all. She was, you know, her act between her accent, the cultural differences, the diversity of it was perfectly beautiful for what I needed. And I was with that woman for three years. I went to make sure that that incident wouldn't show up in my work. But what she helped me opened up was all the stuff I had never before that day dealt with. I had never dealt with the sexual abuse. I had never dealt with acknowledging that my grandmother laid on a couch while her husband took me to her bedroom at seven years old. I had never dealt with any of those things ever until that woman every single week for three years with money I did not have, money that I would do extra part time for my husband do extra just to make sure that I could get the support. That was the first small shift. I would love to say that that was enough for all the stuff, but the damage was deep, Sarah. It was tangled and really hidden and, you know, covered up and smothered and packaged with cherries on top. So no one would know what was in it because I always grew up smiling. And, you know, I was the cute little girl that's always so, I hate this word, but I'm going to use it because that's what I was called. She's so nice. She's so nice. Meanwhile, I was in so much pain and I was so superficial, right? Like trying to be nice in moments when I could care less, but I just needed to be nice because I have to be smiling so I can help, you know, help the world because no one needs to deal with mine. No one cares to deal with my pain or my issues or how I'm really doing that day. And that was the smart, the first shift that really kind of, I'll use the current phrase, habit stacked. From there, it it broke through enough that I could listen for other ways to improve and see where I wasn't showing up fully. My youngest um, was about eight years, almost eight years old when she called me to the table in a really big way. She told me we were sitting at the table having dinner, my husband, my son, my daughter, myself. And she said, you are so awesome for everyone else but me. Now, as a black mama, 
I said, who are you talking to? Right. Like that. That's my first response, being very clear. And she was like, I'm just saying, mom, because we did teach our kids to advocate for themselves. And in that conversation, she shared that, yes, you take me to all the things you sign me up for all the things you're there, but you're not there. You're not with the other moms looking at us through the glass for practice and dance class or soccer or whatever. You're always your head is always in your notebook. You're always writing your back in the day tablets. You're always always in in that palm pilot. You're always doing that. When we're in the car for 45 minutes for school, you're always on your phone. You're always having a conversation. Back then it was pages. You're returning a page. And she was right. I really worked hard to keep my kids with a full schedule of opportunities that I didn't have access to when all they really wanted was me. And she was the first to call me on it, which propelled me to the next shift and so on and so forth. What a brave young woman. Because think about it, even though you taught them to advocate for themselves, knowing how and showing up and doing it are different. Yes. You know, so props to you. And man, what a great kid. Yeah. You couldn't have told me that in the moment. Like, I'm grateful. <laughs> well, you know, that's the beauty of the moment, especially mm-hmm. when we've got some self-awareness. Yeah. We hear it in our head. And mm-hmm. if we're quick enough, we shut our mouth. It's like, wait a minute, that's an overreaction to a simple comment. Yes, yes. What's really happening here? So true. I had a a little bit of both in that moment as my husband uh, and my son did the look down at the pasta. We're not part of this conversation. Like, uh oh, anything else, Dad? (laughs) Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, I know. We feel those uncomfortable moments and just hope the storms pass quickly when we're not involved. So. Okay, now you said a lot there about like doing the extra work, your husband making sure you had the resources so you could do this to commit to taking care of yourself, right? Yeah. Now, I don't know, especially at that time with all the other things you were juggling, you know, your kids, your degrees. um, That to me also sounds like it took a lot of courage to say, I'm worth it. Yeah. Right. So would you say that was one of your profound moments of selfishness when you declared you were going to do that or did we even hmm. thinking of it in that way? I wasn't. Um, honestly, I didn't start thinking of the framing of being intentionally selfish is, is how I kind of section it away from what the world sees as selfishness. I didn't really see it until I literally started writing um, my memoir, my survivor memoir which is selfish, permission to pause, live, love, and laugh your way to joy. And when I started writing, which was eight and a half years before it was released in April of 2020, officially April of 2020, um, when I started it, I, I realized there was so much more pain that was buried under there that with a phenomenal therapist and at this point a couple of coaches and some spiritual counselors and pastors and bishops and other people that had really poured into me in different ways or received me in different ways um, there was still a lot that was underneath because as you and you know how it is when you go to the, the dentist to uh, get a cleaning they also if they're doing a full scan are like huh you got a, you need a crown, you, something with the root canal, something with the, you know, everything's overall good, but there's some 
potential issues that we can see coming up. We want to get ahead of this. And that's kind of how it was for me, at least, because of all the layers of really deep buried trauma and, you know, micro traumas that were on top of all of those things that were occurring because of, you know, inactions and actions that I was taking as an adult who was responsible for her her life at that point. It was helping to do one thing, but it was uncovering other things that would kind of seep out in different ways when I was challenged. Um, when because I realized, they weren't tamped down anymore. Because they weren't okay. exactly, they were like loosened up almost. Yep. Um, when I reflected and looked at when was the first time I was truly selfish? It was the time that being intentionally selfish actually saved my life. I was 15 years old and raising my brother in my mother's home with her. She's completely strung out, like heroin, crack cocaine, alcohol, marijuana, like everything she can fill in there. She's stealing my tokens. So I have to walk from South Philly all the way to Chestnut Hill for high school, like just like very layered things. And I don't want to tell anyone, no adults, because then they'll take my brother and they'll put him in the system. I'm 15. No matter how many jobs I work, it's not like someone's going to give me a 15 year old. Uh, I mean, a, a, a three-year-old. So I I had a, a moment where this was the umpteenth time that one of her male people had accosted me. And it was so out of hand that she was starting to literally offer me, like, you know, I don't have money for this. My my daughter's upstairs. You you can take her. And I remember taking my brother and literally climbing. We were in a, a three-floor building, a Trinity is what they call it. And I climbed up on top of the roof with my brother just to stay away. And we were there for hours and hours. I'm 15 years old. And I had a thought in that moment, I'm either going to go to jail or I'm going to die if I don't leave here. So I called my grandmother who wasn't in the best person. That was the house that I left, right? Like, you know, this this wasn't the best place either. But her husband, my step-grandfather, who was uh, one of my abusers, had died a couple of years prior. So I said, well, it got to be better than this. Let me call and see if I can go back with my brother. And she said, you can come, but I'm not raising any babies. I'm not doing that. So, and I said, well, I'll take care of him. She said, no, you won't. It's you or nobody. That's your choice. And I really had to make that hard choice. I can leave him here hoping and praying that he doesn't end up in the system, visit him as much as possible, literally coming after school two, three times, you know, after track practice, cheerleading practice, all the things work as much as I possibly could and give him some tether of hope with my energy, with my presence, with taking some playground, all of that. Or I can guarantee that I will not survive this. And I made a choice to leave. I saved myself. And that was something that sat with me in the negative for so many years. I felt so guilty about leaving him, no matter how often I would go up there and spend time with him. We, my husband and I ended up um, taking custody of him when he was 13. I'm still in my 20s, right? We got married at 22. We're a fairly new couple, right? In terms of being married. We have been together since 17, but we're, you know, very young. We're struggling. I literally just graduated grad school that May. We took custody of him in September. So now I'm in a big court battle with my biological mother over this child that 
Noun is doing what I did. He's literally going and sitting on top of the rooftops at 11, 12, and 13 to escape the nonsense in the house. And I was like, I can't have this. And although we already had two children and we didn't have a lot of money and you know anything about social work, you know, you don't get paid too much more than a teacher, right? And here I am bringing in a preteen with all of the baggage that a preteen boy has gotten in that house. But that was my gift. That was me paying forward. That was me being intentionally selfish again. I couldn't keep them when we were younger, but I could at least give them a healthy home. I could give them structure. My husband could pour in some male mentorship in a healthy way with no agenda, right? And the only thing that we requested is that he be honest with us and that if he had any negative behavioral reactions at all to our kids, like some of the abuse and some of the things that he came from, that he had to talk to us before anything happened because that would not be tolerated. Like I couldn't have my children come up into a cycle. Um, That was our deal. And he was okay with it till he was about 19 and he wanted, you know, he was in college and coming back like, I need some freedom. And we were like, okay, get your freedom because here we still got structure, right? You're not coming in here four o'clock in the morning and 19. Conversation we all have (laughs) at some point with parents like, hey, you're welcome to come and go as you like. Where's your home? Right. That part. (laughs) That part. They say one king per castle, one queen per castle, all of it. Yeah. Um, But honestly, that was that 15 was my first time. And, you know, from there, I started making these smaller deliberate steps towards reclaiming my time, reclaiming my space, and not just so I could take a nap, which is helpful, not just so I could get a mani-pedi, which is nice, but so I could do my forgiveness work. So I could have the space to continue to go to therapy or whatever it is that I might have needed so that I could take a vacation by myself without anyone else. I call them self-lovecations now. I take six weeks every summer, every single summer self-location. I edge in a little time for my husband because our anniversary is in the middle of that over the summer and little time for our grandbabies. We have two toddler grandbabies now, but outside the majority of that is me loving on me because I deserve it. Okay. So I've, my emotional roller coaster has gone from amazement to wanting to cry, to feeling what it was like to be 15 mm-hmm. in a mildly chaotic home. Nothing like what you're dealing with, right? And just thinking, oh, my heart's breaking because it's tough enough with your hormones being a girl, 15, Mm -hmm. and you're also overachieving on everything you're doing. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm just thinking that is such a heavy load. Yeah, Um, it was. It was. But and then at the same time, marveling at the courage it took to pick you. Yeah. Right. Because no one benefits if we lose you. Right. So, okay, let me recalibrate here. Speaking of recalibration. Um, <laughs> Pooey, baby. Okay, I had some questions you've already answered, but I do <laughs> want to talk to you now. So with this back story, I want to ask you a personal question. You have the same husband you did at 2022? I do. I kept him. Look at me. <laughs> well, if he were here, I had some questions for him. He's not. So we'll pretend he is. No, mm-hmm. I just, because sometimes we mm-hmm. reject our stuff onto others and make it like, well, blah, blah, blah. This wouldn't be so hard if X, Y, and Z. I didn't I hear did, any of that. I tried me. it. I what tried it. 
I, oh, oh, I tried it, I, but I met my match, thankfully. But but I definitely tried it. We it went to marriage you. therapy and everything. Yeah, like he he was like, listen, what we're not going to do <laughs> is that part. <laughs> Thanks for sharing. <laughs> but let me share something back. I'm here. Right, right. We're doing this. Right. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, respect to him for that. <laughs> this is all about you. But I am curious, you know, you talked about how how busy you were and on paper and all of that, you, you were slammed, right? Mm -hmm. So I hear that a lot too. You know, people say, well, I don't have time to do A, B, and C. So how do we make space for what we want when we feel we're already at capacity? Yeah, that's, that's a big one, Sarah. So I have to, and you, you started in the earlier part of your introduction asking about work life and love balance. So this is my answer to both. I have a formula for it. Um, I'm a polymath. So I have a lot of information in my head and I typically truncate by putting things in acronyms and equations. My formula for balance for work life and love balance specifically is very simple. It's the letter T over top of like a fraction, the letter B. It's admitting your truth. That's what the T is for what you really want. Your needs are understood. You know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, safety, shelter, food, right? Like it's understood. We all as humans, we need the basics. That's understood. So that's not the focus. The focus is what do you really want? What do you want to do in this world that would make you feel like when you're in your obituary? Yes, she or he or they did that. What is that thing? You know, high level, what is it? And the B is the boundaries that you create so you can achieve that truth as your reality. To me, that's what balance is. It's not 50-50, 70-30. It's, it's none of that. You could be super in what I call the burn zone where you're on fire. You're working on a project. You're doing 8, 10, 12, 16 plus hours a day and you feel completely imbalanced because you are in your truth working towards whatever that reality is that you're trying to create. And you have great, empowered and expansive boundaries. Your boundaries shouldn't make you feel like you're in a Ziploc bubble. Your boundaries shouldn't make you feel like you are mean or you're not connecting to the very people that you're doing all of this for. They should be expansive and you should be empowered to have them. The way that you do that is you get really honest with yourself. And first look at what you need to let go. Are you holding shame? If you are holding shame, I believe very Brene Brown style, and she's a great, fantastic researcher. The vulnerability that you need to release it is your cure. Shame is because of secrets. You're holding this part back from yourself. I was in a lot of shame because of all the masks. The thickness, the layered thickness, right? All that calcification under it. If people really knew this little tiny skinny afraid girl who was abused and who was called stupid every day for breakfast. There, there were no affirmations in my home. That was not a thing. My family, we woke up to my step-grandfather throwing my grandmother across the wall and cursing and all of the things. Like that was my alarm clock, legit my alarm clock for school every single day and weekends were the worst if you didn't have somewhere that you could go like it was all of that so there was a lot of shame for me that I had to unravel with help couldn't do it no matter how smart I am 
can do it by myself. I needed smarter people, people who wouldn't be charmed, people who wouldn't judge, but would just hold sacred space for me. So if you don't have that, and you may not have had as a physically or emotionally violent background as I did, but you may have your own trauma, your own micro or macro, they call it big T, little T trauma, where maybe you had great parents and you had heat and and water and all the things, but your parents worked a lot to give you that. So you feel like, yeah, they were good, but they didn't listen really well. They were always working. I felt like I couldn't be heard. That is a form of trauma because your little kid brain was interpreting that that busyness that your parents had to put food on the table, to keep everything, to keep you in all those activities, the tap, the jazz, the ballet, the football, all, your brain as a kid took that as they don't love me. I'm not enough. And as you grew up and you started to understand, oh, no, this is they love me. This is how they love. You still never let go of the well, I'm not enough for them. I'm not enough for him. I'm not enough for her. I'm not enough for the world. You still carry that. And it it causes you to have an expectation of limited belief in yourself. So if your parents said, be a doctor or scientist or a lawyer, that's the greatest way to make money. And you really wanted to design maracas, right? Like, and you were like, this is what I want or, you know, lamps or shoes or whatever. I want to be a coach. I want to be a strategist. I want to be an Enneagram specialist. Like, if you knew what that was back in the day when we were younger. But if that's what you wanted, you felt like that wasn't a worthy career because you had to prove that this is what you would do. This was the expectation of you. This is how you show up as your best self. So we stop living in our truth. We start doing this whole trajectory. Sometimes it looks like our career. Sometimes it looks like the the person we choose to be our lover or the lovers that we've had along the way. The friends that we allow in that aren't good friends, they don't reciprocate anything. They don't hear us. All they do is take, take, take. But there was an expectation that this is what it was supposed to be. And it literally clouded our truth. So if you can make space for you to listen to what you really want, which no one needs to tell you, someone can help you uncover it, but it's already in you. If you can say, you know what? I really want to design maracas. At 16 years old, I'm going to make maracas my thing. And you start chipping away at it. Take a half an hour. Go visit the local shop that has the, uh, I think they're officially called castanets. Go in and see what the castanets are. Look at the different ones across the internet globe and see what's out there. How hard is it for you to get into it? What can you do? And then you create boundaries so you have time for that, which might only be 10 minutes to start. Then it's 20 minutes then it's 30, but you have to create that time as one of uh, my colleagues called it to be a pathfinder instead of just managing your time. Managing your time is what most of us as ambitious people can do. Like, you know how to put a lot of stuff into that little jam packed space. Right. But we don't create the time to follow the path of ourselves. But if you really want it, if you say that I want to I want to create balance, I'm tired of this burnout, I'm tired of overwhelm, I'm tired of not having whatever it is that I want to live fully. And it has nothing. I'm not talking about money. Money's easy. Money's understood. Money comes with all the other things. And, you know, that's a whole different part of the conversation. 
but just to live fully, to live what I say in that space of A and D, to have and instead of saying, well, I have to do this or choose that. I'm not this or I'm that. Like instead of boxing yourself in there, we break boxes by admitting the truth of what we really want, not what sounds good to our best friend, not what our high school reunion will think is is classy or great, not to prove our ex-lover was wrong when they said whatever they said about us that still stuck with us and hurt our heart. But what do we want without limitation? And then you kind of back into that with boundaries around you. And there's five specific areas, but just to like bring it in, it's really creating those boundaries in a way that allows you to have time for your spirituality, whatever that is for you, to be pulled forth, to have some energy, to manage those expectations and break free of the ones that no longer serve you. And honestly, to have room for perspective, like being with you right now, Sarah, gives me a different perspective. I never knew that there was a specific specialist for the work that you did. I thought it was a part of other things. And you're making an amazing living saying, no, I, I can do a lot of things. Don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, I, I got some brilliance in here. I can stretch out, but I'm really good at this. And I really like this. And I want to call people in. I professionally stalked you on your website. I saw you, girl. I, I see what you're doing. And you were calling people I in. Like you out too. <laughs> that's right. That's what we do, right? You professional stalkers. <laughs> But I really appreciate it. And I learned so much that having a a wider perspective, being outside of your bubble allows you to really have space for your truth, too, because you can see the complement as well as the differences without feeling like you need to compete or be tied to, well, if I'm not doing it this way, then I'm not doing it well. Right. It's a that's a tough one. Um, Initially. Because our mind gets so quick and fast about talking over what our heart says. Yeah. I mean, it's like, then when you say, you can hear the mind going, and to be able to step and separate those two mm-hmm. and go, okay, I just want to hear my heart right now. Yes. I'll get back to you in a minute. Because I know my mind's not going anywhere. It's it's always ready to tell me its opinion. Mm-hmm. It is. And mm-hmm. so, and it's not. Because it's habitual, I can trust that it won't forget the last thing it wanted me to be aware of. It'll be, I might forget where I put something, that kind of thing, but not the importance it thinks I should hustle on something. And, you know, Nikita, I think it was like September of this past year of 2022. I was just like, everybody was wanting this and wanting that. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if I did nothing. Right. Like mm. It was because it's that whole thing. Like if I slow down, will all of this just evaporate? Right. Right. And I thought, hmm. Well, my husband's told me for years it's not a true statement, but I be- I like the theory of it. He says, you don't have to do what you're doing. We'll be fine. Right. We'll be fine. But it also comes with a lot of huge adjustments that I have to honestly say, I'm not sure I want those. So, <laughs> right. um, it's not your truth. <laughs> it's not my truth. But I appreciate that the door is there. You know, that I'm not locked into something. And so I thought, okay, let's just see what happens. Let's just see what happens if I don't stress. And I just wait and see who else steps up, right? You know, the amazing thing is it wasn't like five minutes. I'm saying, hey, can I take that on for you? Let me do this. I'm going, oh, my God, what little story have I been living in here that Mm -hmm. I had to make it so hard, right? Come on. I think I was like to myself. So it's been a lot lighter since then because I keep asking that question. 
It's it's powerful. And I I can't help but smile and think about how much spaciousness you made for yourself from a metaphysics perspective yeah. when you got out of the way, when your ego got out of the way and allowed you to be in the collective consciousness. So other people who are already there, who are already on your wavelength that have been trying to get to you, the, the energy of them was trying to get to you, new clients, new partners, new referral partners, new subject matter experts to add to what you're doing. Good humans, like all they were trying to get to you, but your, your way of being full, I won't say busy, no, I'm being well, busy. Right. right. I've tried to stop saying busy when people say, how are you? I try to say never. I never say busy. I say, I'm um, I'm doing well. I'm physically well. What are mm -hmm. you really wanting to know from me? I'm physically well. Thank you for asking. I like I like your reframe of that. You're like, I'm just going to answer this the way you probably can handle it. And then based on our relationship, I may open up yeah. more. And talk about, you're talk about how right productive about my day is. The spaciousness, mm -hmm. the spiritual spaciousness, because that's mm -hmm. exactly what's happened. People have yep. shown up all of a sudden like, hey, could you guys do this? And thinking, mm -hmm. wow, that was so much easier than having to worry or figure it out. Come on. No chasing. No chasing in 2023. No. No chasing. Let those little rabbits run free in the year of the rabbit. <laughs> Just funny. That's my nickname is Bunny. So how oh, is hilarious it? is that? Mm -hmm. <laughs> cute nickname. Okay, another story, Sarah. Get back on the track here. Okay, so um, so I love the mathematical formula T over B, B boundaries. Mm -hmm. Okay, so as we get closer to the end of this, I'm not going to promise you this is my last question, but <laughs> when. Talk to me a little bit about the Institute, who you typically work with and yeah. the roles that boundaries have in that work. Ooh, they're so significant. It's ridiculous in a good way, the best way possible. Uh, so our company has evolved since it started in 2012. When we started, we were a staffing agency with a professional development arm. And we kind of grew into like holistic growth and development. So we did personal, professional and leadership development with um, some tenets of business strategy because of all the entrepreneurial lessons that I had learned. That was me feeling myself, quite frankly, like, oh, all these people love it. Like, great. oh, yeah, we can do this and we can do this. And we can do this. And before I knew it, I was in my default of people pleasing. Right. Which pulls you quickly into addiction of stress, which was my personal, not projecting that on anyone else, my personal addiction. I never was into drugs or promiscu promiscuous behavior or any of that or alcohol. It was make, fill up my plate, fill up my plate, fill up my plate so I could hide. Um, and we, we tried that for a while and that did not feel good. That felt really yucky. I felt like I created a job for myself instead of being able to be in flow. Because when I left being a traditional clinician, I don't serve as a clinician anymore, even though I maintain all my licenses and I fold all of my tools inside what I do as a balanced relationship advisor. Being a clinician, I loved it, but I wasn't in love with it. And I found myself creating another relationship, if you will, with the work where I'm like, I'm good at it. I'm not even sure I love it. I think I just like it a whole lot. And the like is because you're there and I don't want to disappoint you. You know what I mean? Like if you ever dated someone, you're like, oh, you're such a, you're really good, but I don't, there's no spark. I don't know. Oh, I totally get what you're saying. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I do. And it's like, right? just because you're good or, or you are good with that mm -hmm. person doesn't mean that's 
where you ought to be. Exactly. Um, and, you know, that's hard because, you know, like I know as an entrepreneur, you don't work, you don't eat in whichever way that looks for you yeah. from funnels and, you know, all, all the stuff to one to one work, um, whatever, whatever your modality and your systems are. And I just didn't like it. So I had to get really honest with myself. Like, who do I like to play with? That's the question that I started to ask. Who do I want to play with? And um, as you and I were talking in the green room, I'm an Enneagram 7. Um, I'm very enthusiastic and I like freedom and I like play. And I don't like to be anchored to anything that I didn't create. And even the things I create, I still want the freedom within it. Right. Um, yes. and, right. Um, and I also know that I'm an activator. Like I love to activate people into their next whatever it is that they're doing. So I looked at who I wanted to play with and how I wanted to play with them. So I love to play with power couples and potent humans is what we call them. Power couples for us are not what most people think. I know for the generation of my kids, you know, 26 and under, power couple has a little bit of a stigma because they think, oh, you just have, a, have to have a lot of money and they're snooty and snobby and they're always in a suit and they walk in a room and dominate. Like, no. Power couples should have some money, right? Because they're if they're doing great work, they should be able to pay for their lifestyle, whatever that looks like. But for us, it's about their philanthropy. Are they philanthropic? Are they influential in whatever industry? They could be the people who make the little muffs on the, the microphone that you've never seen or heard. They don't have to have ever been on camera. But are they influential in their respective industries? And Last but not least, are they advocates for disproportionately affected people by systemic issues? If they don't hit all three of those, you are not my person. Doesn't mean I won't have a virtual tea conversation with you to see how I can support you, push a check across the table and put you in touch with someone great in my network. But you are not who I want to play with because then I'm doing it because I can, not because I want to. So that was one way for me to establish boundaries as the key person who delivers the services in here. My husband and I work together. He's a shareholder in the company, but he doesn't do this work. He's not trained for this work. He's a creative, right? Um, in a different way than I am. For the potent humans, I really love ambitious women in business and a few brave men. But the people that I really get into the most for potent humans are when, regardless of their gender, if they are entrepreneurs or entrepreneurial in their thinking, so they can work in big conglomerates, but they have like micro businesses within that. Like I think they call them entrepreneurs now inside the company with the way that they manage, but they have to be visionary the architects and catalysts of something that they're doing because that thinking, what I call careerpreneur thinking, those analytical creatives to be very specific, those are so yummy. Like those are my people. I light up when I'm like, you're analytical and creative. Like I get so excited, especially when they are ready and willing to do the work because the work that I do is is deep. We have fun with their couples and the individuals. We help them improve their intimacy in every way from more orgasms, right? And understanding their body from my sexology hat all the way through the deeper parts of trauma that they're healing. Emotional healing is a huge part of what I do, but I don't want people to come to me if they're knocking on the door of divorce. I'm going to refer you. 
period. Like I could do it. I don't want to do it. I want you to say, I have a really good marriage. And in parentheses, we want to be blissful. We want to turn up. We want to amplify something. Um, of course, there, you know, we're human. Nothing's perfect. There's always a few little things that we can uncover. And like, oh, there's some communication things here. And that's fine. But if you're like, Nikita, if you don't help us, I don't know what we're going to do. Let me let me connect you to someone else, because that means I'm sucked back into people pleasing to help you do something that, yes, I can do, but I'm not interested. Then if we're working with a couple and we've amplified and we've turned up and we've done all the things or an individual woman, she's excited and then life hits because storms happen to all of us. Oh, that's yummy to me, too, because we already have rapport. We've already established your I love my clients. I call them client partners. Like I love my people. I'm totally good with that. But if I met you in that toxicity, that's not necessarily my favorite place to start our relationship. Because, you know, the way you start something is the way you end it across the board. Right. Okay, that's a powerful statement right there. The way you start is the way you end it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something that could be easily overlooked. But it's too true. It's one of those truisms. Yeah. So if you go in with a certain mindset, mm-hmm. you'll probably end with that mindset without change. Yeah. Um, and I just love how clear you are. I, in my head, those are my filters. Like you mm-hmm. pass this one gate, then this gate, right? It's And if it doesn't make the first threshold, there's nothing wrong with you or me. We're just not the match. That's right. No, but but I do know other people who'd be a better match. A thousand percent. You, The way you just, I'm very visual and the way you described it, you made me think of, I have this uh, whiteboard, I'll, I'll send it to you. Um, it's really about the healthy estate in your relationships. And there's five boundaries, like the five permission zones of boundary t- we talked about, because it's T8B5 to be very specific about the balance formula. But I just say T over B to keep it simple. And in this, you know, kind of octagon shape, I have a boundary literally listed at every entry point into your estate. They're like guards around you. And I think you can apply it to everything that you do, including the work that you're charged with doing on this earth while you have time here. And if I don't have boundaries here, anyone and everyone can come in and get past my guards. My guards are there to allow me to be expansive and to be successful and to be great, quite frankly. But they're also there to make sure that I don't default into other ways of being because that's that's my true comfort zone. My my true core is the greater version that I am now. But my comfort zone is in the trauma like that. I was What's in that. It's so familiar. It's like yeah. second skin. We so how to navigate that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Right? And as women who compartmentalize, I mean, come on, if there was a platinum Olympian Olympic champion medal that we could get for that (laughs) so many most women in at least america would have that because we just stuff it down stuff it down stuff it down i don't have time to be angry you know tears and all while i'm changing the baby diaper tears and all while i'm having sex tears and all while i'm doing the five thousand things i have to do because i don't have time to actually process any of this and when you do it's usually because you're stretched out on the bathroom floor and you can't get up Yeah, that's and that's a little too far over the edge for an easy comeback. Absolutely. A little bit too far. Oh, mercy, girl. (laughs) I feel so full and so grateful. Honestly, I do. So I'm just like, okay, 
I got to pretend, I got to remember, not pretend, but I have to remember this will be a podcast. And <laughs> I should put a, a warning on the beginning. Hey, grab something to drink now because we're, we're getting into this stuff. Yeah, you, we both bought something hot. Mine's is probably cold now, but I remember we both bought something. Mine's almost gone in my hot water. It's so good. Um, it's so funny because the more I'm connected to me, the more I really like water. It's so uh, interesting little shift, water and hot water. Even mm-hmm. in the summer, I prefer warm. But same, you know, it's just, oh, no, don't don't make me cold. Um, OK, so Nikita, what would you recommend? Well, if your daughter, let's go to your kid. Mm-hmm. Let's go to your real people, not imaginary yeah. people. So she's. 22. 22. Mm-hmm. Okay. So she comes to you and she has this little conundrum. Does she know and live your kind of balance strategy? <laughs> no. Yes. Live. Absolutely not. She thinks her parents are not nearly as smart as she is. Are you kidding me? That's because she's not 25 <laughs> or 26 yet. Right. When the light dawns, when you're going, oh, maybe they did know what they were talking about. Yeah, that part. We're still waiting for that aha to hit. Well, if she were to come to you mm-hmm. and ask you a question or you were going to t- share with her, not tell her necessarily, but share with her a piece of your wisdom that, you know, would make sure she stays in her brilliance. Yeah. What might that piece be? Mm, that's powerful because she does work for our company. So I, she, I share a lot, probably against her will because of the work she does. but. <laughs> What would I tell Messiah for her to stay in her brilliance? Honestly, I think the best gift that I could give her is I would help her know that boundaries are here to help you expand, not to keep you small. I think that's what I would say. Yep. It's so counterintuitive and so Mm -hmm. powerful. Mm -hmm. So powerful. Okay. We're turning a corner here. Two things so far. Um, where do you like people to reach out to you? What's the best way? Yeah, the the best way is honestly, I love um, for us to have virtual tea so they can connect with me on our website, which is thigpro.com, T-H-I-G-P-R-O.com. Um I would say second to that, because, you know, some people that this was a lot of information and a lot of sharing, but sometimes people want to go down the rabbit hole. Go check out the Balance Bully podcast. It's everywhere. We'll make sure that. Well, that's I don't have that link, so I'll make sure that's in my notes so that it gets in the show notes. That makes it super simple for folks. Yeah. Um, And I know you've offered to give folks a download from your Mm -hmm. site. Would you share a little bit about what that is? Yeah, well, here you get to choose because there's two things that I couldn't I couldn't pick. Would you like something for your couples or would you like something for the individual potent humans who are listening? Oh, that's a tough one. I'll go, <laughs> I'll go for the individuals and then they can team up and come to you for the rest. <laughs> OK, so for individuals, I would say the best gift I could give you is an honest and transparent look even more than what we've done today of who I am, how I got here and how I still rise to be right. Maya Angelou about it. Uh, And that is to go to a selfishbook.com and get a free PDF copy of selfish 
permission to pause, live, love, and laugh your way to joy. That is super generous. And then the last thing I want to ask before I wrap this up is what should I have asked you that I did not ask you? Sarah, that is a fantastic question. What should you have asked me? Ooh, you had so many powerful questions. What's on your heart today that you just wanted to share that maybe we never got to? Honestly, I came to just engage with you and be magical, which I think we did together, to be truly honest. I think the only thing that I would add, uh, because it's top of mind normally, not today, because, you know, today was technically a a, a relaxed day, um, is we have the Intentionally Selfish Incubator. It's the sweet, Intentionally Selfish Suite. It's a personal development incubator where you work on yourself first and you get certified to be a certified selfish coach or architect, depending on which tier you're in. I think that's the only thing we didn't talk about. Okay. So now that's something for folks to go to your website and check out. Yep. That's all there. Nikita, I cannot thank you enough. I feel extremely full and grateful, not just full up, but grateful um, Mm because I don't really believe in uh, coincidence. Same. So I'm figuring our paths crossed. For something. And I know listeners that you are listening to this. And if you got something out of it personally, and how could you not? I mean, the wisdom that Nikita shared, there's many nuggets in there. But if you know someone else who did not listen to this, please share the podcast. Honestly, five years ago, that was my impetus for starting the podcast because we all have too many labels or limits put on us. And we want to bust through those so that we can actually be fully who we are because we're all really brilliant and need to be here and live into that brilliance. And we can't do it lies around us. So share this, reach out to Nikita, check out her website, get the PDF download of the book. Um, And until next week, I wish you all the very best. You've been listening to the No Labels, No Limits podcast with best-selling author, change agent, and strategic vision coach, Sarah Box. You can grab the show notes and find out how to work with Sarah at sarahbox.com forward slash No Labels, No Limits podcast. We'd love this podcast to reach as many people as possible. So please remember to rate, leave a five-star review and share the podcast with someone you think would get value from this conversation. Until next time, keep taking those daily action steps to align your purpose to your principles and achieve your goals in business and life.